Hola, gracias para oír este podcast. And yes, thank you for listening to this podcast. This is Animal Law Discovery, a podcast brought to you by Roots Dogs. We are regular, everyday citizens with no legal background, no legal expertise. We just research animal law as it is provided for every single citizen who has access to the social platforms. So join us as we do more animal law discovery and share it with you across the universe. And welcome again to the independent podcast that I like to call, from personal experience, Animal Law Discovery, brought to you by Roots Dogs. And Roots Dogs are a wonderful crew, a wonderful pack of dogs that started in 2009 and unfortunately saw their disbanding in 2015. But they have inspired me to understand what animal law is. And I want to share my discovery of it with you as a layperson, as a regular citizen in the United States. And we today are going to be reading from a new media, online media, called Fabiosa. This has proved to be a, for my perspective, really creative and really chock full of stats on animals so fabiosa is a media it's a global media publisher and they create world-class content and they have media projects and they do their best to um not not outsmart or you know or outdo the regular news sources but they do a pretty good job of providing a free-flowing positive and engaging opportunity for their audiences to learn from their online facts and features so join us in a minute thank you coming right up hi welcome to this first segment of Animal Law Discovery, the independent podcast brought to you and created and sourced right here in Brookshire, Texas. Fabiosa is an online media publisher and they have done a fantastic job of providing some very significant and indicative facts for people like me in society who want to be more aware of what can be done to stop animal abuse and to use use information to understand and solve the problem of abuse better than what we've done up until now here into the 21st century. One of the things that they do talk about is that the and this is written in November of 2018 November 6th. And just so you know, spoiler alert, the statistics that Fabiosa has 
concluded show that improvement is is here in our world for animals but there's still a long road ahead so sherry cheryl welsh excuse me cheryl welsh is the writer she talks about how it when it comes to animal abuse dogs are the most common victims representing nearly 65% of all documented cruelty cases. And it's not even about dogs in general, but rather the specific breeds. Can you already tell where this is going? About which dog breed is the one that's most affected by animal cruelty? Yep, one out of four abused dogs are pit bulls. In some countries, for example, the UK, this breed is banned in order to prevent animal cruelty as well as the infamous horrific pit bull attacks that um, allegedly happen however not only dogs become victims of animal abuse cats and birds and mice and whales and many other animals suffer from human anger and maltreatment in some cases animal abuse is motivated by commercial goals some other cases demonstrate simple the owner's ignorance and negligence whereas the rest of them showcase truly malignant na nature of human species. To understand and solve the problem of animal abuse better, we need to learn statistics and some significant and indicative facts. The society needs to be more aware of the terrifying numbers of murder. Let me add that um, the, the friends that I've had and new friends that I make, when I talk about the terrifying numbers of abuse, I'd say two out of three people don't want to hear about the abuse. They don't want to see the pictures. They don't want to know the literature. They don't want to know where I learned what I learned. They don't want to see it. And I, I really believe that indirectly that impacts the or enables animal abuse. Unless you know what it is, what it looks like, what the problem entails, you, you can't come up with a solution. You can just continue to be in the dark about animal abuse. Um, the article also in Fabiosa uh, remarks that a writer, Antoine de Saint-Exupéry, wrote in The Little Prince, The Little Prince, that is a wonderful, um, beautiful story. I haven't read the book, but I know that Bob Fosse, I am a Bob Fosse fan, he, he did The Little Prince in the 60s or 70s and that's how I learned about that story and Bob Fosse does an outstanding standing dance dance movements in that little prince uh, for the movie screen so Antoine de Saint-Exupéry wrote in the little prince you become responsible forever for what you have tamed that is so true I believe it is true because when I look at my pets and I love them, I know that it's not just about me loving them. It's about caring for them until their last day on earth. And that's a big responsibility. So going back to the article by Miss Cheryl, what was her last name again? Cheryl Welsh, the writer for Fabiosa for the article written in 2018 of November. She goes on to say, animal abuse statistics in 2018. Have you ever heard of the term zoo sadism? It refers to the pleasure the person gets from cruelty to animals 
and is con considered one of the three indicators of sociopathic behavior. Fire setting and enuresis are the two other signs. I'm sorry, that's not funny, but it's like I was talking about dogs, but they had to go ahead and tell me the other signs of sociopathic behavior. Fire setting and enuresis. That's interesting because how many dog rescues here in my area have been brought down because of fire? You know, that suddenly they kind of... Uh, that's interesting. Uh, but did you know that animal cruelty includes not only physical violence, but also neglect, animal testing, ignorance, and simple misinformation? Misinformation. Now, I will talk about that in my next segment here on Animal Law Discovery, a wonderful discovery and unearthing of facts and studies and remarks about animal abuse and animal law and animal philosophers. So stay with us here on this podcast, Animal Law Discovery. Thank you for listening. Fabiosa, the online media publisher, has a wonderful article that's available to anyone who's interested in going online to find Fabiosa.com and reading about animal abuse statistics. Now, this is not something that's fun to talk about, but to find a solution to most problems, uh, it is important to discuss and be civil. That's one of my most precious gifts I think in, 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 in society is that if people can talk things out instead of yelling at each other or calling each other names it turns quickly escalates and I'm guilty of getting angry and being frustrated and being emotional as, as a younger person but I soon learned especially in the workplace you want to be very civil civil civility is important and there's so many times when you're when people there at least for me my emotions say you got to let this person know what you feel how you think use the perfect adjectives but the feeling I that I get when I am civil with people and that happens more often than not in my life these days when I am more civil there's a greater satisfaction in knowing I made my point <clears throat> I gave him my thesis um, I gave them my evidence and where I got the evidence and I'm just asking them to please, please hear me out and hear why I'm saying what I'm saying. And sometimes it works. It usually does because usually most, most of us adults, we do have the same goals. This, we are on the same page. We're just probably looking at the wrong, excuse me, we're looking at different paragraphs on the same page. So maybe the sequence of, of our logic is in a different order. So just my point that I'm trying to make based on my personal experience it is very cool to be civil it doesn't matter the age that people just people in general we need to be civil and that seems to be the key to helping animals um, so thank you for listening on that and let me go on to say about which state which state is the absolute worst at protecting animals that's in Kentucky 
According to the Animal Legal Defense Fund, the ALDF, Kentucky is the worst in protecting animals. Now, in another more updated story from January of 2020, this article written by the new the North Kentucky Tribune. Of course, they're going to be biased because it's a Kentucky publish publication. But it says Kentucky is no longer worst for animal protection laws. So that's why Kentucky was being considered the worst for animal protection because of their laws. But this article, written January 2020, indicates clearly that now Mississippi is the worst state to protect animals. And indeed, in the article by Fabiosa, it does indicate that Kentucky was, for this story by Fabiosa, the worst state for the 11th time in a row because of its laws. Veterinarians are prohibited from reporting suspected or confirmed animal abuse there, and many cases of animal cruelty remain hidden and undetected. I, I want to talk about that because many times when I have worked with people in rescue, just in the last seven years, a lot of information is public in Texas. Persons, maybe phone number, I don't, it can be found in a phone book. And then that same phone book directory is going to be their first name, their last name and address. In fact, those kinds of data can be found for at least the past hundred years about citizens in the United States. I can go to the um, one of the Houston Public Library's historic sections of the library and find who lived in my apartment building 40 years ago, 60 years ago. So I just want to make clear and share to my rescue friends who think, how do you know their address? It's public info. And apparently that's a good thing, in my opinion, in Texas. I know in other states, for example, for instance, some public records are not as easily accessible. So then when you hire someone, when you work with someone, you don't really know anything about them. And, and I really think that communication and being civil with our discussions, coupled with knowing a little bit of background on somebody is the best way to, to, to do any deal, and especially for animal rescue. So in Kentucky, one of the reasons they were considered the worst was because many cases of animal cruelty remained hidden and undetected. And I don't, I think that's that's um, definitely an enemy to not coming up with a good problem solver for animal abuse. And so in this segment of Animal Law Discovery, I want to talk about the article that we've been discussing, Fabiosa, on their animal abuse statistics, Um, how they have come to the conclusion and their resources have helped them come to that conclusion. This is very interesting. They say animal abuse can come in different forms. They ask, but who are those people that can harm their friends? Well, according to the Humane Society, it is 
mostly men under 30, who intentionally and consciously abuse animals, whereas mostly women over 60 are involved in hoarding, which is having more animal companions than a typical amount. You may wonder why it is even considered animal abuse. According to different reports, people are simply unable to provide the necessary care and living conditions to their pets. I must pause and share another personal experience. When I came back to my current home, it was a, already a 75-year-old house and nobody had lived here for almost 10 years and I was here full-time 24-7 just getting my health and everything back together and it was going okay. It was anxious for me because I have always worked. My point is this hoarding thing. My thought process is women over 55, if you have, it seems to me, my personal view is if I have over three dogs, I'm a hoarder. I don't know if that happens because as a middle-aged woman, I no longer look as attractive as I did when I was 25. I don't know the answer, but I have noticed that even in within close circle of friends that I have, not in rescue, but just people not in rescue will say, oh my gosh, that middle-aged woman has six dogs. She must be a hoarder. Well, I think there's a lot more to determining the diagnosis of a hoarder. Um, I'm not one. I have probably the same amount of stuff as anyone else has. My house is older. It's always in some kind of repair mode. So I think I want to use this opportunity from a personal experience and share that not every woman over 60 who has more than three dogs is a hoarder. In my perspective, because there's millions of dogs that don't have a home in every state in the United States, it's easy to have two dogs and then have twice that and then twice that again without being a hoarder because there's so many dogs on the street and most of us Americans and women who have a mother's heart don't want to see others suffering and so then the argument may be well call the whatever society and have them come pick up the dog well guess what everyone shelters are full and not all shelters can meet the strategies required to have a healthy place for animals to, to reside, then one might say and argue, then that shelter is a hoarding place. And the, the volunteers are not vetted. They just sign a piece of paper saying they want to volunteer. And the public doesn't know, hey, where have these veterinarians been before? Do they have a good track record? So I'm just trying to share and bring light that, yes, we have laws. Laws are good. Animal abuse is happening. Sometimes people are hoarders. But wait a minute. Hold on. Let's discuss this civilly. Not every woman over 60 is, is a victim, is victimizing animals. And we need to find a, a really succinct way as soon as possible to determine if an animal is 
being harmed or not harmed. Because cruelty seizures are very cruel. It's cruel to the person involved, an American, to have their Fourth Amendment rights taken away. It's, it's devastating. It was for me. And I'm still grieving from that loss of privacy, that loss of just because I have more than eight dogs. Obviously, I'm a hoarder and can't take care of myself and my house is old. It is devastating to go through that kind of removal of your rights when your whole life you've been a good citizen and never intended to be a bad one. But someone else with authority can say that, that you are based on just their assumption. So I'm asking everyone, whoever may listen to this, whenever you may hear it, there are just millions of homeless dogs. There are no answers. There's no fairyland, magical place with soft pillows and food in every direction, fresh water, veterinarian care for free for stray dogs. We Americans, we have to do the best we can. And we are a strong people. We know we, we do hunker down and we do what we know what to do because we are self-governing. And I'm saying that to say not all women are hoarders. Just because we're middle age and have a tyrant, you know, whatever, a, a big belly, you know, our waist is gone. Because we're not physically as attractive doesn't mean we're automatically hags hoarding animals. Thank you for this attention you're giving to the Animal Law Discovery Podcast brought to you by Ruth's Dogs. Now I'd like to go back to the Northern Kentucky Online Journal. They talk about the Animal Legal Defense Fund, the ALDF, who has a, an annual ranking report. And that is considered, the ALDF is considered the, um, the most significant report of its kind reporting most authoritatively on year-end rankings of the states and the territories for animal protection laws the ALDF so that's another thing I hope we can both learn together from my personal viewpoint that the ALDF what they do and what why, why they are important to us as common citizens or everyday citizens the animal legal defense funds annual ranking report 
highlights the disparity in our animal protection laws from state to state. And that is according to the executive director, Stephen Wells. He goes on to say, and is quoted, few people know what animal protections laws exist in their state and can be very surprised when tragedy strikes and an animal is hurt or killed and there are no laws to ensure justice for that animal. I think it's important to again emphasize that the Animal Legal Defense Fund has a really significant purpose for animals because uh, in Houston and I'm not degrading Houston I love 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 Houston when um, when they first started having horse-drawn carriages it didn't occur to me what kind of licensing or requirements would ensure the horse would be safe and the passengers would be safe me and my mom just hopped on one of those horse-drawn carriages and I think halfway through our our journey we both looked at each other thinking oh my god this animal is pulling a lot of weight and we both I'd like to think we both had a really strong empathetic moment for this horse I mean we really didn't enjoy it as much as we could have because we kept saying you know this horse is pulling us and he's you know she's got a lot of weight on here and he doesn't look the horse doesn't look too happy so I don't not only do I think that the common knowledge of the art of everyday citizens is that we don't know we don't know what kind of animal protection laws exist we don't even think to ask has the person using the animal for for whatever purposes has looked into those laws to ensure we don't even ask we don't even think about is that animal insured to be safe and and to not be hurt or killed or maimed or stressed out we just hop on the horse-drawn carriage so i i think i want to share and emphasize how much the animal legal defense fund is really there for for you as a everyday citizen if you want to you can look at their annual rankings which is considered a comprehensive review and of of animal protection laws in all the United States. So let me let me let me um, summarize animal protection laws with the Animal Legal Defense Fund's writings. The US Animal Protection State Laws Rankings Report lays out a clear path forward for all jurisdictions to strengthen legislation. The rankings are based on a comprehensive review of each jurisdiction's animal protection laws, including over 3,000 pages of statutes. And this is the longest running and most authoritative report of its kind and tracks which states are prioritizing animal protection and working to improve their laws. That is a wonderful goal. That is a lot of work, too. Prioritizing animal protection and working to improve laws. That is a lot of work. A lot of committed people in the United States who are doing everything they can to help animals. And based on what I've just read and shared with you, I encourage you to, to, to read yourself on the Animal Legal Defense Fund and Fabiosa and learn as much as you can. This is reading that can be done anytime. You can... You can just do it anytime. And if you have pets in your home, it's worth it for them. Thank you.
Let me make a public service announcement to everyone listening to Animal Law Discovery, an independent podcast brought to you by Ruth's Dogs from Brookshire, Texas. That public service announcement is something I have in my mind that I want to share from personal experience that I took many days and some some grief and some pain to realize that I can do something for animals and it's called legislation. It, it doesn't mean politics. It means that it's important to get to know our your, your local elected officials. Um, according to some journals out there, I'm not going to quote directly, but the way they talk about how animal how legislation is very very important because many times laws are not designed the best way possible and legislation in any state can sometimes you know just common thinking that legislation can either if it's old and outdated it can hurt your animal cares rather than solve animal problems it's not always the most effective option from what I understand especially when it's the only measure but when it's structured well and that takes commitment from human beings that are that are committed to helping animals when legislation is well structured and organized then then socially unacceptable, unacceptable behavior towards animals can have a, have a reason to not exist or to not be allowed to continue within certain jurisdictions. And those jurisdictions pretty much is our areas that our elected officials are in charge of or that we empower to, to run and mandate. So good legislation developed within the boundaries of societal values, which is a quote from the role of legislation article that I'm reading from. Good legislation developed within the boundaries of societal values and science sets an example and other pressures such as trade that can be used to affect changes elsewhere. Legislation can only impose minimum minimum acceptable requirements and is difficult to update in response to changing needs. Animal welfare legislation is best applied where animals are abused or neglected or their needs are not being met and animal owners, users are not controlling the problems. Well-structured and organized industries can demand high voluntary welfare standards from their members in the absence of legislation. So the honor system apparently can be used in animal welfare. But if we're gonna use legislation, then legislation, according to the article written by the role of legislation in the um, Canadian government, legislation must be supported by factual information such as the such as that derived from valid science and successful experience. Regulators must therefore consult with stakeholders and qualified experts when contemplating new or revised mandatory animal welfare standards. 
Regulated standards are effective only when enforced in a fair and consistent manner and are kept up to date and relevant. And all of that takes commitment by our elected officials and we the people, we're the ones who ask our elected officials to to please heed our concerns and our hopes and our dreams for our society and especially the jurisdictions we live in. So thank you for listening. And let me reference the correct name of this source. The source for this most recent, for this segment of the role of legislation in support of animal welfare is by the Canadian Veterinary Journal or La Revue Veterinaire Canadienne. That's French for La Revue Veterinaire Canadienne. The Canadian Veterinary Journal. for joining again to this segment of Animal Law Discovery brought to you by Ruth's Dogs. So such joy in my heart to talk about positive opportunities to share with people in Texas how you can help dogs. And I love all animals, but um, focusing just on dogs at the moment, there's probably, well, nobody really knows how many Uh, homeless dogs are in Houston or in Brookshire but there's a lot and I bet if everyone could keep eight dogs in their home safely and healthfully and in compliance that might empty the shelters but that's not happening so the Texas Humane Legislation Network has a website called THLN THLN THLN.org and you can go and be a participant right now you can sign the petition that tells Texas legislators, your elected officials, that dogs deserve adequate shelter. It's so easy to go on to THLN.org. You, um, you'll see the, the highlighted area for te- Texas dogs deserve adequate shelter. And then you just click on sign the petition and it is there. Their goal is, the goal for the THLN is 20,000 signatures. They currently have 15,890 so you can uh, we only there's only needing to be a little over 4,000 so be one of those 4,000 click and sign your digital signature which just requires you to probably put your first and last name to say hey Texas legislators we the people want you our elected officials to understand that every year Hundreds of calls and emails about dogs left outside suffering in extreme Texas weather are received by the Texas Humane Legislation Network. Law enforcement, the media, and everyday Texans are helpless to do anything when they see a dog succumbing to a heat stroke. If the horror stories of animals freezing to death or dying in the Texas heat haunt, haunt you, then please, let's do something about this. Help us to change 
the fate of Texas animals. They can't afford to wait. Thank you.